just arrived after being away for a few months, and uh, we we have uh, arrived just a week ago. And our plan is now we'll be on this side of the world until the the boat is uh, arrived in Cape Town, and then we will make our way back there. Uh, so we've scheduled to have at least eight months on this side of the world. We're going to be doing a fair bit of traveling, and appreciate your your prayers in in the various places we're going to be at. So we'll be here for about a month, then we go up to Ontario until the end of October, and then we head out to Vancouver until uh, February, and then we come south again to California, and I'm not sure where we'll go after that, but uh, we'll see how the Lord opens those doors for us. Um, I've been working on a a series of messages uh, to try and encourage believers to be overcomers. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it doesn't take a Christian very long when they first get saved to discover that uh, the Christian life is really uh, a life that is hills and valleys. It's not always on top of the mountain. You go through valleys in your Christian experience, and, and that's normal. And uh, the thing is, uh, sometimes believers spend more time in the valleys than they need to. And we, we want to sort of encourage the believers today uh, with some teaching on various things. Uh, some of the things that, that create valleys in a believer's life would be uh, temptation. Uh, all of us are tempted. doesn't matter where we are, how developed we are in a Christian life. Temptation still comes across our path. And if we have succumbed to temptation, we are plagued with guilt. How do we overcome those sorts of things? These are various subjects I've had in mind. And failure is another one. Uh, sometimes believers go through illness and uh, that will produce a bit of depression. People go into a valley and how to understand these sorts of things. And I was just thinking also, you know, the world that we live in today has encountered more changes in our generation than any previous generation in, in the history of humanity. And, um, and oftentimes changes create a lot of difficulties for believers, in particular the world we live in today where you know, just a few years ago, much of the sympathy in society went along with the Christian convictions. And, uh, but now that is no longer the case. And so there's a lot of opposition to us as believers, and it comes across in the academia and Hollywood and various places. And uh, how do we deal with those things? Tonight, I'm going to be talking about this. And uh, depression is, is a thing that, for many years, um, it was thought of a, a wrong thing for... Did I lose it? Is it there again? It's there again? Okay, I'll try not to touch anything here. Um, it was almost thought of to be sinful uh, for a believer... It's there? I'm sorry. Uh, uh, for a believer to, to get depressed about things. And... Um, and, uh, you know, there are some people that, that are prone to that. They go into some deep waters and, uh, and they are not understood by other believers. Oftentimes they might be uh, thought of as second-class Christians and come on, get your, pull your bootstraps up and get back on your feet. And, but there are real definite reasons for depression, and I'm going to talk about that. Conflict is another reason for valleys. Uh, sometimes believers come from homes that conflict is the normal thing of the day. Uh, some believers are 
married to people who aren't believers, and that creates conflict. Uh, some come from workplaces where there's always conflict, and uh, that can get a Christian down sometimes, and uh, how to deal with those things. And disappointment as well. Perhaps it's disappointment with how you've developed as a Christian, or disappointment how your children have developed as a Christian. And uh, so these are things that, that come across our way. So uh, I'm going to talk about overcoming heaviness. My son asked me, Andrew is here for a few days. He just flew down from New York, and he said to me this evening, so what are you speaking on tonight? I said, I'm going to talk about heaviness. And he says, are you on Weight Watchers? What's the deal? And uh, I was actually thinking of heaviness as, as a symptom of depression. And so this is really a study on, on, on depression. And I just want to say this right off the bat, that I'm no expert, and this is simply a layman's ex, uh, uh, understanding and perspective of things. But I've, done, I've come in contact with a number of people who have gone through depression, and they've been very helpful in, in me putting this message together. But we're going to read a couple of scriptures together, and um, I've got them in front of us. If you don't want to turn to them, that's okay. But the first one is John chapter 10, verse 10, and this is the ideal that God has for every one of us. Uh, the Lord Jesus said this, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And then John uh, says in, in his epistle, he says, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So that the ideal is for believers to be uh, abundant in their life and filled with joy and those, that sort of thing. Um, but the question is this, can a Christian get depressed? And... Uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's probably a very good thing for us to consider this because Christians are still human beings, part of a fallen race. And our, not only are we uh, failures uh, physically at times, but spiritually, but there is a sense in which our mental capacity at times can also become a difficulty in, in overcoming. So... Our minds and our bodies are still affected by the fall. And, uh, you know, people still get sick physically. Um, uh, Christians are not immune to illness uh, physically, but also there is mental illness as well that goes along with this. And this can also affect believers' lives. And uh, so the problem that I would like to do is just identify it first. And if we can identify this problem, that usually solves half of it. And uh, so what I'm doing here, I'm giving a little, a little definition of what is depression, and I always like to do what it is first, not. But anyways, we're going to talk about uh, definition. We're going to talk about examples of de depression in the Bible and then uh, causes of depression, and then we hope to just also, while we're looking at the causes, we're going to look at different strategies to overcoming it. So... First of all, what depression is not? And I've just sort of put this together here. Temporary sadness, feeling down, having a loss of interest or pleasure in daily activities. These are symptoms familiar, familiar to all of us. But if they persist and affect our life substantially, it may be depression. So I'm not talking about going through a bad stretch for a day or two or maybe even a week. But if things stretch out for a longer period of time, it can lead to a more serious problem. So when we talk about depression, this is really what we mean by it. Depression is a mental health condition marked by an overwhelming feeling of sadness, isolation, and despair 
that affects how a person thinks, feels, and functions. Depression can affect people of all ages, races, and socioeconomic classes, and can strike at any time. And the condition, interesting enough, the condition is found in twice as many women as, as men. That's probably because they have to live with us. But um, uh, it's interesting to find that out, that that is uh, often twice as many women have suffer from this as men. Now, I, 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 got a, I, I started to do some research, and, and I wanted to find out from an individual who is depressed or went through depression, what did it feel like? What, what are we talking about here? And so I got four different definitions of depression or how they felt about it. And this is one person's saying here, depression is seeing no future and no answer for any problems of, of the problems in your life. That's number one. Number two, depression is a dark, inescapable place. It's like being locked in a room with no light, windows, or door. It's so dark you can't even see your hands in front of your face, let alone find a way out. And number three, depression is a state in which nothing tastes, smells, or feels right, and you are unable to think or make decisions. And the fourth one would say this, feeling numb inside, the world and time just passes by, and nothing brings you joy. So this is not just people who are not saved saying these things. These are believers describing how they feel when they go through a period of depression. Now, we do have examples in our Bible of, of men, and uh, I'm going to speak about men in particular, but uh, men and women who have gone into depression in the Bible. And we do have examples of that. One of the first ones I'm thinking of is Job. Uh, you can just imagine the, you know, the most of Job is is an expression of the difficulties that he went through and how he he was depressed as a result of the tragedy that took place in his life and his own physical illnesses as well and being misunderstood by those who who were around him and being falsely accused of of some sin in his life and and these were things that led him to. A, a, a time of depression. David was another man who was very prone to depression. That comes across in the in the Psalms when you when you read those books. And Solomon again, um, uh, Elijah, uh, Jonah. Uh, these are all individuals. And then you can also talk about these uh, di- different individuals in particular here. Uh, for instance, Psalm fifty-five. David he says this. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Those are the words of a man that was going through a real period of depression and uh, discouragement. Elijah, again another example, uh, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and she and came and sat down under the juniper tree. Now remember, remember, this took place after he had this tremendous victory and destroyed all those prophets of, of Balaam. And uh, but it says here he sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die, 
and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And you know, often, and I've noticed this in my own personal experience, and maybe you have as well, that after you've had sort of a spiritual victory, where you've had some really powerful uh, movement of God in your life, and, and, and you've had some, some conquests that you've seen done, and then quite often after that is followed by a bout of depression or low, down feeling. So often depression strikes after a personal high and, or after great achievements. Uh, another example is, is uh, Solomon. He wrote a, a really depressing book at times, Vanity of Vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Sounds pretty depressing, isn't it? Um, the wisest rich man ever, uh, ever was depressed. His wisdom and riches could not satisfy him. And then uh, uh, you also have other examples of, of individuals in history. Um, history is full of extraordinary men uh, and women of faith who struggled with depression and anxiety. Now, you might not be aware, but uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was known as the Prince of Preachers, uh, battled with depression and anxiety. Um, Martin Luther, C.S. Lewis, J.N. Darby, each walked to their own dark nights of the soul. They all had difficulties. And, you know, it's, it's hard to believe, isn't it, sometimes, when you think of these spiritual giants who have gone through uh, enormous difficulties. And uh, so I'm going to look at, at causes of depression, and this is where things might get a bit more practical. Um, one of the biggest causes for depression is, is guilt. It's guilt. And when I think of guilt, uh, well, we'll talk about it in a moment, but guilt is one of them. Uh, circumstances is another big cause for depression. Uh, relationships, individuals that we have contact with on a regular basis sometimes is a, is a, a source of depression. There are sometimes there are other sources like physiological or medical, and these are often a source of depression, and, and of course we need to see medical help for that. Now let's go into these individually. The first one is guilt, and, and when I talk about guilt, I, I want us to look at it in two ways. There's, first of all, there's real guilt, and then there is what I would refer to as imagined guilt, and I'm going to try and define those in a moment, but... First of all, let's talk about real guilt. And, and that was something that uh, when I was preparing for this message, I was speaking to a man, uh, a good friend of mine, who overcome, overcame a bout of depression when he was a younger man. And uh, it was very serious. And he, he had to come to grips that what really was causing, was the source of his depression, was the fact that he had unconfessed sin in his life. And that sin produced guilt, and that guilt produced depression. And he says, before you go through anything else, the first thing is to examine your heart before the Lord. And if you're going through a depressing time, that would be the very first thing to do, is just examine your life before the Lord. And, and if there is uh, sin, uh, have to, you have to need to confess it. And um, then we have... Um, uh, under-imagined, 
I was thinking of unreal expectations. Now, oftentimes, people feel guilty because of what others have are expected, expecting th something from them. We often run into this situation when we come to uh, people who have been raised in an evangelical, or maybe not even always an evangelical, but who have been raised in a, in a very legalistic, structured church or family life. And oftentimes there are legalistic imposition placed upon people's lives. And I came from that sort of a background at one stage in my life where you are expected to behave in a certain way and others are looking at you to, to make sure that you're doing that. And if you don't rise up to that, you have a perceived guilt by, by not meeting their, their expectations. And we need to be careful when it comes to interaction with one another that we are careful to leave people up to the Lord that way and not to impose our own set of values upon them. Um, now, when it comes to real guilt, uh, the first thing is that we need to examine and confess to God. So there, there's a, a really good verse from the book of Psalms. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So self-examination in the presence of the Lord is the very first thing one would like to do when they're uh, plagued by guilt. And then um, if we have had something revealed to us by the Spirit of God, then we must confess our sins and he remember that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I remember as a young Christian um, that after I failed, I yielded to temptation. And I'm not, I'm not just saying I only did that as a young Christian, but in particularly when I was a young Christian, if I yielded and failed the Lord and 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 succumbed to a temptation and sinned against the Lord, even though I I confessed my sin to the Lord, I just didn't feel like I was forgiven. And I had to really get into this verse and to enjoy it and appreciate it and understand it that that when Christ died for me on the cross, he didn't just die for, for my past sins, but my future sins. And, and he is faithful and just to forgive us. So if, you have in that, if you're in that situation where you failed the Lord and you've confessed it and perhaps still don't feel victorious or don't feel forgiven, don't trust your feelings. Trust the word of God. The word of God says that if we confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, sometimes we need to confess to a person. If we've sinned against the Lord, that's, yes, we need to confess to him, but sometimes we have sinned against an individual. And in order for us to be free of that guilt, we need to actually get together with that person and, and openly confess to them that they have, that we have wronged them. And we want to acknowledge that to them and apologize to them. And, and sometimes that might involve even restitution. Uh, sometimes a believer, has felt convicted that perhaps they have stolen something or taken something and they really feel that they need to to make that right. And, and these are different things that I'll leave with you. But genuine repentance leads to a desire to redress wrongs. And uh, if we want to be free and clear, have a clear conscience before the Lord, sometimes it is the right thing to not only just confess to the Lord and confess to an individual, 
but to make things right by, by restitution. Now, when it comes to imagined, um, I want us just to remind yourself that you're not to blame for surviving a tragedy that someone close to you did not. You know, sometimes uh, there is this scenario where somebody has uh, perhaps, um, I know there, there are those on the battlefield who have come home after many of their comrades have, have died on the battlefield and they come home and they almost feel guilty that they were spared when others had passed away or maybe there's a car accident and there's been one person who has survived the car accident and the rest have, have passed away and, and oftentimes there's a guilt that is associated with that. Now that's an imagined guilt. It's not a real guilt or genuine guilt. Um, remember not to blame yourself for a mistake or a mishap that at the time was beyond your control. Um, I'm, I can speak from a personal experience. When I was, we had our young family and uh, we were living up in northern British Columbia at the time. We were just coming back from our holidays. We'd been away and, and I had a little, little Pontiac, small little car. And um, we had the three little boys and uh, Nicholas was fussing at the time. We always tried to get our, keep our kids with their seatbelts on. Nicholas was fussing and, and, uh, Karen wanted to, to comfort him, so she brought him up on, on, uh, on her lap in the front seat. And, um, and it was really pouring down rain. The rain was just coming down like crazy. And, uh, and I hydroplaned, and I lost control of the vehicle and rolled the vehicle and ended up in a ditch upside down in the vehicle. And uh, um, none of us were seriously harmed. There was a few cuts and bruises. But I went through a period of real anger at myself and depression and guilt for allowing this to happen to my little family. And, uh, and really, I had no control of that. Um, I mean, in hindsight, I should have been driving slower. But it, it was just something that happened. It was an accident. And it was really out of our control. And then um, sometimes you need to tell yourself that the behavioral ideals you and others set for yourself may be too high. And um, I, you know when we speak in different assemblies, we, we oftentimes come face-to-face with individuals going through difficulties. And I remember this one situation where this, this young mother, who was definitely not mentally healthy, and you could tell just by looking at her that... and. Um, after I spoke, I forget what I was speaking on, but she, she approached me at the door and explained her, ba- explained her background to me. And she came from a very, very strict, strict gospel hall type of assembly. And uh, she left that and went to a, a chapel. And her father was an elder in one of these strict assemblies, and he never, ever accepted her and never, ever acknowledged her decision. And she, he always seemed to bring it up and blame her. And that that affected her in a mental way that, that troubled her for many, many months and many years. And um, so I tried to help her a little bit because I came from a similar background. But, but this is a situation that oftentimes comes up. And, and uh, you can recognize the legitimacy of standing up for your rights and don't be afraid to say no. So these are things, uh, they all have their own little story behind them, but I won't take time now. So when it comes to... Um, Circumstances, a loss of a loved one or a divorce, um, financial stresses, these are other sources of, of depression. 
you can go through these various things and uh, and you know I can't imagine what some of the widows and widowers have gone through and you think of them spending uh, 30, 40, 50 and sometimes 60 years with their partner knowing the ins and outs of each other and, and then for that person to be suddenly taken away uh, I, I, I know I would be, I would be definitely uh, depressed um, uh, for lots of reasons but you can just imagine the, the, this being a, a source financial stresses oftentimes believers go through that and that can create difficulties Sometimes we have to watch our children. They, they go through circumstances at school where perhaps they get bullied and things like that. And it also happens to adults. There's a bullying that goes on even in the workplace where people are ridiculed and made fun of. And, and that can affect a person's spirit as a, as a believer as well. Um, oftentimes, um, unfortunately, this is the case. Um, there is physical violence, sexual violence that happens uh, in, in a believer's life. And uh, again, these are sources of depression. Uh, one of the fellows that really helped me in preparing this message, uh, I've spent a number of years with him and oftentimes uh, praying with him, but he was a man who came from, again, a very um, tight, rigid type of church. It wasn't a, an assembly brethren type church, but uh, he was sexually assaulted as a young boy by his uncles. And... Uh, he grew up with that shame and that embarrassment and it led to depression and even um, thoughts of suicide and and this is as a Christian and um, uh, he eventually became an elder in the assembly and we he, he asked for us to meet together we started to meet together and we were praying together and, and these stories started to come out and uh, it was very interesting and it wasn't until he could understand that that the Lord was in control of circumstances even unpleasant circumstances that he found some, some peace in that. So when it comes to these circumstances, and this is really the number one solution, I want us just to keep this in mind. Remember, God has a purpose and a design for your life and mine. And that often means that we're going to go through difficulties. Uh, I've talked about this at other times. But Romans eight twenty eight is a tremendous verse to help a person to accept difficulties in their life uh, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And um, again, um, remember that God has a purpose and design. As long as we resist surrendering to him, we will not find any relief. Now, we have a lovely verse in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, that gives us some answers and solution as to how to, to find Solace, how to find encouragement when we're down. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then it says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest uh, for your souls. Now, I want us just to think for a moment about the yoke. The Lord Jesus said it was my yoke. He says, Take my yoke upon you. Um, you know, in the Middle East, um, farmers, what they would often do when they are preparing a young ox, to they're training that ox to be able to take the yoke and to be able to plow a field. They'll often link that immature, uh, untried ox with an old seasoned ox that knows the ropes. And as long as that ox 
the young ox learns to follow and trust the big ox. And instead of trying to push his own way and just lean on that big ox and let that big ox uh, uh, take the most of the weight. And that is really what is the, uh, the picture is for us. The Lord Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and, uh, and learn from me. I'll teach you. And I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest under your souls. It seems like a contradiction. How do you find rest when you're bearing a burden? Well, the thing is, the Lord is bearing the burden. You're just sort of walking alongside with him. Um, and 11 verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then we talk about relational. Uh, oftentimes, this is a source of, of depression, unresolved family disputes, um, unkind words or actions between believers. Um, justifying bitterness is another reason that happens. Bitterness is a terrible thing in Christian life. And if you have a bitter Christian in your assembly, that is a real danger sign because often that spreads like wildfire and rubs off on other people and creates other, other bitterness. So how do you overcome that? So um, what I was thinking of is, is, you know, whenever it comes to dealing with individuals, it's always good to take a second look at yourself and remember that Christ was prepared to die for me. When we have been hurt or offended by another believer, and that happens all the time, doesn't it? It, it does happen. How is our attitude towards that believer? Now, if we want to be bitter and, and well, if you did that to me, I'm going to do that to you sort of thing. If we want to do payback, that is no answer to, to the solution. What we need to do is take a second look at ourselves. And if we realize that me, with all of my sin, Christ forgave me, why could I not forgive my brethren, my brother, my sister, who, who has, who has, uh, um, has sinned against me. I'm not perfect like the Lord was perfect and he forgave me. What right do I have to hold some sort of grudge or withhold forgiveness? If Christ could do that, uh, do I have the right to withhold forgiveness from someone else? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And then we have, of course, um, these uh, physiological and medical. And, and um, sometimes, as people get older, they face all sorts of health issues. And uh, chronic pain and other chronic health issues can actually really aggravate a believer and put them in a depression. And uh, sometimes, if you're on certain prescriptions, uh, there are side effects to prescriptions that create depression. And diet is another thing. And... Uh, um, various things that health things that can take place in a person's body that can uh, mess you around that way and then there's there's also and this is by far i would do this at the very end is the idea that there is a, a chemical imbalance uh, in the brain and um, we have an individual in cape town right now in, in our assembly in hebron who unfortunately has not come to grips with the understanding that he has a mental illness. And he has created havoc in the assembly and is just coming to the point now where I think he's going to be committed into a hospital in order so he's going to be um, given the proper medication. But but these are diff difficult things to face and uh, and they need to be dealt with. So 
when it comes to these physiological and uh, medical things, uh, visit a health professional, obviously a doctor, a psychologist, nutritionist, or a physiotherapist, and, and these are, are very great helps. But another thing that I'd like to encourage you to do, and if you're going through some difficulties like this, find a friend that you can talk to and pray with and uh, that you can have confidence in and, and be honest and open with them and share your difficulties with them. Uh, John chapter 10 and 10, I'm just going to bring this again in conclusion just to remind you that the Lord Jesus said this, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And these things rightly unto you that your joy may be full. And with that, we're just going to close in a word of prayer. And uh, thank you for your time and listening. Just bow our heads and pray. Our Father, we come into your presence this evening just to thank you again for the Lord Jesus. We're thankful for the scriptures that give us guidance and practical help in, in times of need. And we confess to you, Lord, that all of us as believers are in great need of your presence and help. We think of the world that we live in and uh, there's so much opposition to what we believe and who we are. We think of some in our assembly here and we ask that, Father, you would be pleased to draw near and comfort and strengthen those that are going through difficulties in their Christian walk. We think, Father, of uh, the various things that have been requested to pray for already. We think of these dear sisters who are expectant mothers. We commit them to you. We think, Father, of the a daily vocational Bible school coming up and we ask the Lord just to bless the ministry of your word to young people's hearts and uh, we think of the preparation and those that speak we ask Lord to bless your word and your work we think of camp and various people in various places and we just ask Lord to bless your word wherever it is spoken and so Father we thank you for the privilege of being together tonight we ask that you draw near and bless the assembly here at Boulevard and uh, commit the elders into your hands and each believer in the assembly we just pray that you would strengthen them as we ask these things giving thanks in jesus name amen